Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. And I just want to talk to you for a brief moment today about family. Can I do that? One of the very, very, very important things for us as a church here when we establish is we wanted to be good at two things. And if you've been here long enough, you've heard me say it over and over and over, but it's not going to stop. Because when something's important to you, you don't change the subject. So one of the things we said we really wanted to be good at as we gathered God's people together is that we were not going to control people. We were going to empower them. That means that when you come into this house as family, nobody's trying to control you. We're trying to help you become the best version of you possible. The second thing was we wanted to host the presence. And we wanted to make sure that the presence of God stayed. Meaning there have been places where the presence of God has come, but it hasn't always resided. For many reasons, there's been agendas, there's been all kinds of things that has been put in front of us. But the truth is, God's, God's plan for us, God's governance for us to move in the spirit is family. It's for us to gather together and to realize that this is more than a social gathering. According to the Bible, the person sitting to the left and the right of you are your brothers and sisters. And when you have given your life to him, when you have said yes, listen, here's, here's the real truth. Every week we say, at this church, you belong, you believe, you become. Now, people take issue with that because in the church we have generally taught you have to believe before you belong. The problem is, if you don't belong, you will never believe. If we put on you that you have to believe something before you belong, then that's putting law on you. That's saying to you, before you can become a part of our tribe, you have to believe like me. You have to walk like me. You have to talk like me. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross is he abolished law. That's why, according to the Bible, we boldly enter his throne room. What does that look like? It's very tangible. Today, in this place, as we sang songs and as we opened up our hearts, we stepped in. And it's in that place, whether you know it or not, whether, whether you opening your heart was simply saying, Jesus, come. Everybody's expression is different, and that's the beauty of family. If everybody in my family looked like me and acted like me, nobody would want to hang out with my family. <laughs> because, because the beauty of family is diversity. It's that we all gather together and we all have different voices. And even though I may not agree, I still honor. My agreement does not set the basis for love. And so for long, long, long times in church circles, we've gathered around agreement. Do you speak in tongues or do you not? Do you believe in healing? Do you not? When somebody prays, do you fall or do you not? And the real question is, who cares? Who cares? According to the Bible, we have one God, one Jesus, one spirit, and we are one body. What I love about this is, when I see, when I look out here today, this is the closest to acts that I've ever seen this church be. It's the closest thing. When you read Acts 2, many people, they cry out for an outpouring in Acts 2. If you don't know what that means, in Acts 2, Jesus had died and he was gone. And he told his disciples, those who followed him, you must go. He gave them this crazy commission. This crazy, it was like, this is what you will do. You will go change the world and make disciples. And they're like, well, crap. 
you, we, we skip over that like it was, wow, go make disciples. But to them, it was impossible. He says, before you go out and you live this kind of a life that I have empowered you to live, you must go and you must wait for the helper, which we know is the Holy Spirit. Now, we get around in circles like this, and we think that if we sing just the right songs for just the right amount of time with the right amount of hype, that we're going to have an Acts 2 outpouring. Like the presence of God's going to come and there's going to be fire. According to the Bible, there was, it looks as if there was flames of fire. There was wind. But before any of that happened, I need you to hear me. Before any of that happened, which was the transformation point for the church? Had Acts 2 never happened, we wouldn't be here today. You don't have to believe that. It's truth. According to Jesus, had they not waited, they would not have been endued with power. And if you don't have power, you don't have a gospel. A gospel is not the gospel without power. Without life transformation and people coming in and leaving different. Listen, I'm not talking about healings, miracles, signs, wonders. Because you know we don't chase those. According to the Bible, if you're a believer of Christ, those chase you. They are a natural byproduct of who you are. You say, well, I haven't been saved that long. I don't know how to heal. You don't have to know how to heal. Jesus didn't do a 101. <laughs> this is the stuff that, that can I, this is the stuff that people come to church and they're like, I, I don't want that. Because we have to reconcile something, right? Acts 2 is the beginning of the early church. It is the beginning of this. Jesus led 12 disciples and there were many that followed, but there was 12. And this was the establishment that he said, this is the bar for church. And so according to this, I want to read a couple of scriptures, and then we're going to get into something, and then we're going to end. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring, mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames and tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. Everybody present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them abilities. And so here's what's happening, right? Everybody who is a Christian who, who believed in Jesus, obviously they came to this place. And this translation doesn't say it, but everyone say that they were all meeting in one place and they were in one mind and they were in one accord. Now, in one mind can literally be translated into almost one soul. One accord means they were all going in the same way. They all had the same focus. It wasn't about who was going to be the greatest pastor. It wasn't about who was going to be launched out to have the biggest church. In this moment, it wasn't even about what I can get. In this moment, it was about waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and he comes in a way that, really, if you read it, it doesn't make sense, right? Because up to this point, we had only seen the Spirit descend in one way, and that was upon Jesus. We hadn't seen it any other time. So, so if I was setting up the scene, what would make sense to me is the Holy Spirit would have come as a dove. Everybody would have been able to identify it was the Holy Spirit. That's how it fell on Jesus, but that's not the way it came because Jesus is not worried about fitting into your box of your mind of what it looks like. They just see this. We put ourselves in that place that day, and if fire started swirling, you guys would be running. <laughs> if, if this place started shaking, you guys would, it would be chaos. But in this moment, because they knew something was coming, 
See, this is why it's important for you to know, like we saying, that the promises of God over you are yes and amen. That doesn't mean that it has to look the way you thought it would look, but that has to mean you know it's coming. Because expectancy causes you to position yourself to receive. It's no different, it's no different than when you are in a season where you know you're about to have a kid. If you walked up to somebody who was eight months pregnant, nine months pregnant, you're like, hey, how are things going? You're like, I'm just going to wait till it gets here to, to worry about it. You would think that's madness. Now, in kingdom, God speaks to us these things. He lays out what it looks like to live in the early church, and I love the way he came in Acts 2. Because if you really pay attention to what's happening, you see that it is a type and shadow, meaning it was the spirit, but you really had to pay attention. You really had to be hungry to see it. A few weeks ago, my brother-in-law was here, and he talked about the book of Ezekiel. How a wind blew, how a spirit of the Lord took him, and it led him to a valley of dry bones. You got to pay attention. Listen, it's very important for us that we read this Bible like it's the first time. One of the great mistakes we've made is we treat this as common. We read scriptures like it's just scripture, and we don't really, we don't really pay attention to what's going on. So the spirit blows like wind, and it could almost say, it could almost be said that in this moment, the same breath that breathed life over those dry bones is the same breath, the same wind that is blowing in this room. Meaning, when you get touched by the Spirit, when the Spirit of God comes, you have been given the ability to breathe life into that which feels dead. People who feel hopeless, people who feel depressed, people who are in sickness, because the Spirit is inside of you, you have been given the ability to speak life and through the Holy Spirit breathe life into that situation. This is good news, especially in the context of family. Because we have been taught to gather on agreement and, 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 and scatter on disagreement. But the truth is, when you, when you really enter into family, it's not about agreement, it's about honor. Meaning when I see someone, when I see something that isn't operating up to their full potential in love, we go and we, we love them back to life. We don't judge. You understand there's a difference. We go up to them and in the context of family, we say, hey, bro, you're better than that. We were meeting with a couple of guys yesterday, a gathering here, and we've really, we've really been trying to do family and family looks like something. It would be a shame if we said, we want to be family, but we never gathered because family gathers. <laughs> so we're getting together, and I left, I was leaving the, we were at Panera. And I was leaving, and I was thinking about the conversation, and I was just moved, right? Because I've been a part of a lot of circles. I gave my life to Jesus 10 years ago, and I was a drug addict before that. And one of my problems was that when I was in some semblance of a gang, they did family better than church. So when I used to be in this situation, in my addiction, they said they did family, but they were there. Fast forward, I step into church, and they say, we're family, but the moment I struggle. Now, some of that was me isolating, right? Because we have the tendency in life that when we struggle, we push people away. So family's a two-way street. So here we are gathering in this men's group, and there were so many things we could have talked about. You understand, as men, we have goals. Like, we're task-oriented. This is what I want to do, and this is what I want to do, and I'm trying to fix my wife this way, and I'm trying, you know, all these things. But 
got an amen. But the conversation changed, and it went from, it could have been, man, I want to be, I I be able to do more miracles. You understand? I wish I could be in front of more people. But the conversation around the room was, man, I just I want to be a better husband. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how to love my kids better because I want to represent Christ to them. Now, many people would categorize revival happening within a church if we were talking about miracle signs and wonders and Holy Ghost shout and rolling. But to me, when there's a group of guys, 10 guys get together and they're talking about how they can love their wives better, they could talk about how when people look at them, they could reflect Christ in a better way. That's revival. People loving their families. You know how, many, how many of you know there's lots of people that have great ministries but terrible home lives? And it's important for us as family to realize every single one of you belongs. You belong before you believe. You even belong before you behave. There's no stipulation. According to Hebrews, when you gave your life to Jesus, when he came, he died. He abolished the law and God no longer sees you even the way you see yourself. When you say yes to him, it doesn't mean we don't believe in holiness. It doesn't believe we don't believe in pursuing him. That's everything. But holiness is found in pursuit. The real way to sanctification is not by trying and striving harder. It's by locking arms with men and women of God around you and realizing I belong here. And I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be open because I believe I belong at this table. And so what happens when a church takes all, all the restrictions off. And we're like, listen, it doesn't matter how jacked up you are. You're a part of our family. I, I'll tell you what happens. It gets messy. It gets messy. And so, so long we've tried to make church this thing that looks beautiful and it's polished. But the truth is, even when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts, people didn't understand it. Read the context. I don't want to read all of it because we don't have time. But there, there, were, there were things that happened as a direct correlation to the spirit falling. They gathered in one mind and one accord. And after it fell, they were speaking in different languages. And there were languages. Because everyone around them understood what they were saying. And what happened as a result of the outpouring of the spirit was they could not stop talking about God's goodness. It's very easy to see someone who's really operating in the spirit because you, you, you watch what's coming out of their mouth. According to the Bible, when the Holy Spirit came in power, in wind, and in fire, the first thing they did is they could not stop talking about his goodness. You say, well, things don't seem that good. Well, you get what you look at. You become what you behold. We read the scripture last week, Isaiah 43. And it says this, behold. Say behold. Behold. Say it again, behold. Behold. There's a table there. (laughs) I'm going to get to that. Behold is more than passing by, right? If I say to you, behold this microphone, it means that I'm I'm not just gazing at the microphone. It means in this moment, I'm thoroughly examining the microphone. I want you to understand that because according to Isaiah, it says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now, lots of us, we love, we love, we love to cry out for new, right? I want new. 
I want different, even in church. I'm just searching for something different. But what you have to see is for new to come, old has to die. Before new comes, everything that you know and is common, even the ways God has moved and made you feel good, are different. And so in the context of family, every single one of you has seed. And your seed has need. And what that needs is soil. How many of you know that we are called to bear fruit? Now, how many of you have ever seen fruit bear without soil? Like you just threw seed right there and it sprouted. <laughs> doesn't happen. Now, here's what I have to tell you. When you plant yourself in God's family, as we're gathering here today, and I hope that you sit outside of your circle, as you step into this, that soil is Soil is wet, it's dark, it's disgusting. <laughs> Furthermore, sometimes seed grows better in the midst of manure. <laughs> and in this, in, this, in this movement, right, where we've, where we, like I said, we've gathered and we've scattered. And we give up on people, I, I was... I was reading an interview of this couple that's been married 60 years. I just love, I love reading about people who've committed to something for that amount of time. And I'm reading about their story. 60 years, man. You're waking up to the same face 60 years. You got to respect it. I love you. And they asked, they asked the guy, man, if you can tell us one thing. What would it be? Like, what would you say? One, 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 just a little bit of advice for, for the millennials, for whatever. And he says, you know what? Here's what I'll say to you. He said, we come from a generation, from a group of people, that when something was broke, we fixed it. Now, in my generation, and I can say this because I'm a part of this generation, when my TV breaks, I'm not going to fix it because it's cheaper to buy a new TV. When my car breaks, I'm done with this. I'm done. I'm going to a dealership. I don't care what interest I pay. I'm getting a new car. doesn't matter. Now, you apply that same principle, and you're lying to yourself if you don't think it doesn't bleed over to kingdom. And we enter into family. And in the, in the beginning, it feels awesome because you feel accepted. But you have to know that there will be a moment, there will be a situation, there will be an instance where someone will fail you. Where someone's going to rub you the wrong way. And if our attitude in that kind of situation is time for a new thing, then you're missing what God's talking about in Isaiah. The new thing is not new scenery. The new thing is your ability to cope and to go into family. For you to ingrain yourself and realize if God has called me here, if he's called you here, if you're not called here, then we love you, but man, I want, to, I want you to be where you're called. The people who God has brought here, we believe, are believing for this region. It's not about this church. It's not about this building. We're trying to empower kids to become world changers and try to do the same in here. That what would come in here would go out there. But we cannot do that without family. I want you to see. 
I'm tired, 10 years, and it hasn't been long, but 10 years of crying out for Acts 2, and, and then I realized it didn't happen until they came into one mind and one accord. It doesn't mean that all of them had the same beliefs. All kinds of people from all different, 120 from all walks of life. In one room, you got to know that there were people like, I don't like that guy. I'm going to go on the opposite side of the room and believe for the Holy Spirit to come. Because when I get around him, I just can't, I can't believe for it. There's no faith there. We laugh at that, but, but that's what we do. And we've got to learn that if we're going to be family, and if we're going to do family well, it means I have to get outside of my feelings. Are you here? Is this? I hope, I hope you hear my heart. Because what I want more than anything, what I want more than people, what I want more than money, what I, all those things mean nothing to me. What I would want is for us to do family in a healthy way and for every person to walk through those doors to understand you belong here. God called you here and we accept you. We'll say, well, how can you accept me? Because it's not about me. It's not even about you. What makes you belong is the sacrifice that was paid by Jesus on a cross. It cannot be forgotten. It cannot be demeaned. It cannot be passed over. Every single person from every walk of life, your debt has been paid. And so as we pursue him, and as we enter into real relationship, get off me. My wife got me with these pilgrim boots on. I'm like, all kinds of stuff. I'm catching on everything. Just trying to preach. We don't have to be serious all the time, right? This is not who I am. As we enter into real relationship, we have to realize that looks like something. And I want to land here, and then we'll eat. Amen? Years ago, God spoke to me. He said, listen, if you talk about family a lot, but what does that look like in your life? And I said, well, uh, you know, to be honest, I didn't really even grow up in healthy family. Divorced family, all kinds of dysfunction. Maybe that's why I'm so passionate about it. But in the midst of that, God began to ask me, what does that look like? And he led me to a scripture in Samuel where there were two people. One of them was Jonathan. One of them was David. Jonathan, David. Are we together? And Jonathan and David were best friends. And, but, but the scriptures took it a little bit further to say that they entered into a covenant with one another. Now, I know that's weird because... There should be. Because my love is not based off action. It's based off of commitment. So the Lord began to speak to me about covenant relationships. And this is awkward. I had to go up to guys and be like, hey, I don't even know how to say this because I know it's going to sound weird. But God has called me to go into relationship with you like Jonathan and David. Now you try saying to another dude, <laughs> we're going into covenant relationship, bro. manly, right? But to me, it meant something. Like, when I, meet, when I meet with these guys, I want you to know, I love you. I will give all of my money. I will exhaust my resources. I will never give up. This is family. And so, Jonathan and David, their hearts, according to the Bible, become knitted together. Meaning, what Jonathan loved, he loved. What David hated, Jonathan hated. Their hearts were knitted together. And their relationship went so deep, and this is what struck me, man. 
Jonathan was the son of Saul, and Saul was king. Now, the natural progression to happen when you have a dad who's a king is you become the next king. Now, according to the scriptures, the love between Jonathan and David and Jonathan's recognition of the anointing on David's life went so far that he forsook. I want you to see this, man. He took a step back and realized, I know in the natural I am the heir to the king, to be next king, but God is saying it's you. And he served David, which should have been the other way around. Because in any natural situation, we would say, I'm supposed to be king. And if you don't like it, get out of here. But the ability to have that kind of relationship opened up a realm of blessing and increase that we have yet to see in the church. So fast forward years, this relationship takes place, they go into battle, all of these things happen together. And then finally it becomes time for David to step into kingship, how Saul died. Saul was in battle, he died, not only did he die, but Jonathan died. And for David, this was a big deal. This wasn't just a moment of sadness. Understand when God calls you into covenant, it's a real thing, so if you lose this person, it hurts. And so now David has found himself in a place of grief. He becomes king. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back. He's establishing what it looks like to bring back a godly kingdom because he was chosen. And then in about chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, this thing gets into his spirit where he says, I know Jonathan is gone, but if there's anyone left in Jonathan's family, I want to bless them. The relationship has gone so deep that an extended period of time has passed and he's still thinking about David. Ah, oh, he's modeling family. I want you to see Jonathan David, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, stop. He's still thinking about Jonathan, David is. And so he sends word out, if there's anyone, if there's anyone in the kingdom that is, that is related to Jonathan, I want you to come back and I'm going to give you everything that belonged to Jonathan. Because family always restores. If you have found yourself in this place and you've been torn down, that's not the context of family. The context of family always looks for gold. It doesn't demean, it doesn't look past the dysfunction. It deals with dysfunction, but always in the process of pulling out what's really inside of that person. You understanding? So now he finally finds out that there's someone that is left out of Jonathan's Lineage, and his name is, and I'm going to butcher this, Meshibopheth. We're going to call him Mo. <laughs> Mo. Meshibopheth, Mo. Same page. So he finds this guy, and he says, you're going to come back into my kingdom. Now understand, this, this person was gone. He was lame. His legs did not work, which means he had to be carried around which in this culture a lot of times led to shame, especially when you're in a family of royalty, which he was. And so now he finds himself in a place called Ladobar, I think that's how you say it. Yeah, that. <laughs> and when you look up what this place means, it literally means like a place where nothing is found. 
It's like a place of insignificance. And as I read this, I'm identifying, right? Because I know there have been times in my life where I have allowed my dysfunction to pull me away from where I belong. Bible didn't say he was sent away. He left. Because in the context of what was happening in Jonathan's life, he felt he no longer belonged, so he was out. But now the covenant relationship, because of, because of family, he was being called into everything that belonged to him. So David brings him in and he says, I'm going to restore to you the riches. I'm going to restore to you everything that was stolen that belonged to you because of, John, because of my relationship with Jonathan. And he says, but there's still one stipulation. And the stipulation is this. Every single day, as we reign in this kingdom, you are going to eat dinner and you're going to eat it at my table. Oh. Now you got to understand Mo had all the money in the world to hire the best chefs. The inheritance of Jonathan was great. He could have hired all the best chefs. He could have bought himself the best tables. He could have bought himself all the servants he wanted. Served. But the context of covenant, the context of family and belonging brought him to the table of the king. Now, what I love about this is everywhere else, everywhere else that they saw Mo, they knew he's lame. How did they know? Because he couldn't walk. He was carried, carted, however, however they wanted to do it for the day. And as he was out and about, everybody saw his dysfunction. Everybody saw his lameness. Everybody saw his issues. But, say but. But when he's at the table of the king, when he's in the table of family, covenant, relationship, where you don't give up, you don't give in, and you step into everything that was promised to you, we're now equal. In this place, as he sat face to face with David, he may not have been king, but he was at his table. And in this place, his lameness was covered. And I need you to see this, man. I need you to see that the reason we emphasize family, the reason we push for you to be vulnerable and we stand on the stage and we talk about miscarriages and depression and drug addiction, the reason we do it is because the only way for us to create a place where we all come to the table is for us to be vulnerable and to enter into real relationship. For us to change our paradigm of what church is and realize that we do not just gather to gather. That it's more than words and a song. That there is no longer such a thing as superstar Christians. That self-promotion is disgusting. That there will no longer be shepherds that do not smell like sheep. I need you to understand, even if this is your first time in church, you need to know this is what God is doing. I understand you didn't want to come. I get it. I was there. I understand that you were hurt. I understand that you were abused. We've, if you talk, set us somebody at your table and ask. 90% of our people. That's what happens when you cry to God for the misfits. He brings them. 
Because the common denominator we all have is that every single one of us, we get to sit at the table. And even though we have dysfunction, we have lameness, no matter what you want to call it, at this place, we're all made equal. That's what it said according to Hebrews. That you have all been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. I don't feel righteous. Well, you keep claiming it until your feelings line up with your actions. And when your actions line up with truth. I'm telling you that in this season, church is going to look a lot less like a show. And it's going to look a lot more like family. The reason people are leaving, I was just reading an article, the people are leaving the, tr- the churches in droves. They're leaving. And it's not to be negative. It's because they're searching. Because we invite people and we tell them, I want you to read your Bible. So we're going to do a 365 plan. All you got to do is read half a scripture a day. You'll get through, which is good, right? Then they start to read their Bible and then, and then they start to get to, to scriptures, right? They begin to open up. And we usually tell them the New Testament because Old Testament is kind of confusing. So we start them here. So then they start to read about Jesus and they realize, man, the Christians of that time, when they ran across devils, they left. And then they start to read and they're like, I just, I, I don't see Peter dealing with depression. He, yeah, he's cutting people's ear off, but I... <laughs> and you keep going, right? And you keep reading and then you get, you, you begin to see as they establish and then, then you get to like Acts chapter 4 and you see the unrolling, how they're getting together and they're breaking bread. And they're in one another's lives. Every single day they would go to the temple. I'm not saying quit your job and come here every day, but I am saying that, man, this was what was established in the beginning. So then you ask yourself, well, what was the result? And then you get to Acts chapter 4, and it says this, 4.32. It says, all the believers were united in heart and in mind. Not some. By this point, there had already been over 3,000 saved. When the Holy Spirit fell, and it really fell, it made ministry easy. 3,000, same day. They went out, and then all of a sudden, they're all in one mind and one heart, and they felt what they owned was not even their own. So they shared everything they had, and the apostles testified powerfully. It means when they preached the gospel, It was confirmed through action, whether it was salvation, healings, or deliverances, to the resurrection of the Lord. And God's great blessing was upon them all. How many of you know that's good? There were no needy people among them because those who owned lands and houses would sell them and bring their money to the apostles' feet to give to those in need. And this was the result of the outpouring. Now, if we make the result of the outpouring more services to get more people, to get more tithers, to build bigger buildings, so then we can empower people for ministry, it will never happen. Because when we try to institutionalize love, it sucks the life out of it. The mission of the church is not to create ministries to help you become a better Christian.
The purpose of church is that we gather on one commonality, that Jesus is lifted high above everything. And because, because we have experienced his grace, because we have experienced his mercy, because we have experienced his goodness, we cannot help but speak about his goodness. We cannot help but talk about what he's done. Many of you, many of you, many of you, if you were to really pay attention to the hand of God on your life, you would see it time and time and time and time again. That's why, that's why the enemy fights you so hard. Because if you were to really see the hand of God moving, 28 years old, I'm 28. And here's the truth, and I hope you believe it. God doesn't have to do another thing for the rest of my life for me to serve him. He doesn't. He brought me out of addiction. He pulled my wife out of depression. Even when I ran the opposite way, I look back and he's pursuing me. He gives me family. Even now, he brings us to Lithia. And you look around at what he's doing. Everybody laughs when I say Lithia. It's, it's where I live, bro. It's not that funny. Lithia is not a joke. It's my home. I'm trying to understand why every time I say Lithia, people laugh. What I'm saying is, as we gather and you realize you belong, you begin to see God working through people. And you humble yourself. Because the moment you walk into any room thinking you're the smartest person in a room, you lose your ability. It's not my word. Jesus said, the Bible says he will humble the proud. <laughs> and so as we enter in and, and we come in with the heart, I can learn from anybody. I can learn from Dylan. I can learn from Wes. I can learn from Carl. doesn't matter. In this moment, if we're all a part of God's body, then I have to honor the hand, I have to honor the foot, I have to honor the head. And together, together, we all represent what it looks like to be a family of God. Which is what we're called to be. And this is where I end. This is the last scripture I'll read and I'll let you eat turkey. I know. I know it. Ephesians 2, verse 18, 19, sorry, says this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Understand, what he's saying here is now everyone is included. There was, a, there was a time where there was a separation between Jews, but because of what Jesus did, now this gospel is inclusive. Everybody, everybody gets to be a part. And it says this, you are, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Say God's family. You are members of God's family, and together, together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This isn't speaking on the office of apostles and prophets. It's not. The context of the scripture, what he's talking about is building upon the foundation is family. What he's talking about, what was originally built by the early leaders of the early church. I need you to hear that. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. It's why it's all we preach. <laughs> because without Jesus, nothing else matters. 
we are carefully joined together in him. We are abiding in him. And when we abide in him, we become a holy temple for the Lord. It doesn't say when you. It says when we. When we come together, we become a holy temple through the Lord. And through him, Gentiles are also being made part. And it's saying again, everybody's included in this family. So if you don't, want, if you, if you don't hear anything else today, a couple of things I want you to hear. Church is a house, it's not a restaurant. You go to a restaurant and you ask for a drink. If that drink's not refilled, you're like, yo. <laughs> now, if I'm at home and I got a cup and my cup gets low and I'm like, wife, it doesn't work. God, trust me, it does not work. Trust me. If you're in that kind of relationship, I'm sorry. Does not work. Because in the context of family, you know you're going to go to Thanksgiving and every family has an uncle that just shows up. He's like, yo. He sits on the recliner. He's like, let me know when the food's done. And nobody likes that guy. If you're that guy, stop it. Because in healthy family, everybody contributes. Even if there's not nothing to do, you at least ask. Like, does anybody need help? When we come into church and we treat it like a restaurant, we get everything backwards. Come serve me. What youth ministry do you have? What children's ministry? You don't pray enough? You don't sing enough? It's the dysfunction. Instead of coming together and saying, how can we do family better? How can we be better at loving one another? How can I serve you, bro? I want, it's what's on my heart for this season. I just want to be really intentional at loving people well. Even when I suck at it. Like when I miss it, be humble enough to say, I'm sorry I sucked at that moment. But I want to be better. Because it's not about me being looking good. And so church is a house, it's not a restaurant, and you belong before you believe, you belong before you behave. If this is your first time in church, the only thing I would hear God say to you is welcome. (laughs) It's all I hear. Welcome home. Even if this is not your home church. Because church is about relationship, not about a building. Amen? Amen. So here's how I want to end. There's too many people to do altar. So we're going to pray for one another because we just talked about family, right? So I'm going to give you the opportunity to grab the hands of the person next to you and to, and, to, and to show what it looks like to be family. So it doesn't matter if you don't know the person next to you because we've already established they're your brother and sister. And what we are, listen, what we are going to do, what's not going to happen is Gio's going to pray and people are going to, We're going to pray. If you don't know what else to do, just bless them. Bless their house. Bless their family. Bless their finances. Just pray peace over them. But pray for them that God would show himself every single day. Because that's what we want, right? So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for every single person here today. And I ask that you bless them, God. I thank you for the encouragement of knowing that they belong. 
that they are a part of your family, God, and that we are all one body with one God and one spirit pursuing you, Jesus. God, I ask that you would show us what real family looks like, that we would understand that, that we are there for one another, that this isn't about one person, it's about one really, really big and awesome God. And God, as we break bread today, I ask that you would help us to have conversation to get to know one another better, God. I thank you that if there's anyone in this room that feels broken and alone and discouraged, we speak hope over them right now in Jesus' name. I want you to know that you belong, that you're a part of his family, and that God sees past whatever dysfunction or however you see yourself. God, I speak blessings over every family, every household, every ministry represented here today. And I ask that you would help us to become, to become everything you've called us to be. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Now give that person a high five. Bless the person.